Welcome to Sanctus Church. We are so glad that you're joining us once again today. Or maybe this is your first time, so welcome. Every generation, we know this has phrases, and phrases can be confusing or funny. They, have, they tend to have an original meaning, but then they mean something totally different by the generation that's using them. Phrases like, that's cool, that's wicked, that's so fat, I'm dead, you slayed that. That's so dope, depending on, again, how old you are or where you come from. Now, if you use the original meaning, of course, you're on drugs, you're dying, you're dead, or going to jail or something, but it actually means amazing or awesome, as an example. There are so many phrases we use in English, and we know what they mean now, but we don't know where they originally come from. Red tape, you're crying crocodile, what? You know that at home? All right, tears. Blood is thicker than, can you say it out loud? Uh, Water, break the ice, cat got your tongue, caught red-handed, don't throw the baby, what? Out with the bath water, that's right. Go Go cold turkey, go the whole nine yards, kick the bucket, let your hair down more than you can shake a stick at. You're no spring chicken, rule of thumb, things ran amok. You've been saved by the bell. And if you're from my generation, you know that was also an epic show. Uh, You showed your true colors, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. You spilled the beans, you're a jaywalker. It goes on and on and on. Uh, Years ago, I shared this, let me do it again. One of the phrases that's still used every once in a while is, I'm pleased as punch, meaning I'm so happy. But actually, the original context of that is terrifying. In the 17th century, there was a kid's show, and there were two puppets, Punch and Judy. And and a puppet named Punch killed people in the play all the time, and he loved it so much after he killed people, he was pleased with himself. And that's where we get the phrase, pleased as punch, a psychopathic doll killing other things. Wonderful. Or here's another one, you butter someone up. Have you ever used that before? Uh, I've actually seen where this came from. I was in India in the south in the third largest Hindu temple and I was watching worshipers throw clarified uh, balls of butter at the deities, at their gods to worship them. That's where buttering someone up comes from, the the worship of, of an idol in the Hindu context or bite the bullet. Maybe you've used that before. That came from wartime scenarios where there was no time to actually give anesthesia to someone who was going to go through surgery. So the the soldiers were called to bite a bullet to distract them from the pain. I mentioned this one already, red tape. Uh, uh, We think about it with all this bureaucracy. I can't get through to do the thing. Uh, It it originally comes, by the way, from Charles V, King of Spain, and also the Holy Roman Emperor around the 16th century. And because he was running such a vast empire, what he started doing is he asked his officials to bind significant documents in red tape so they would have uh, priority. Here's another one. Elephant in the room. An obvious truth that's being ignored or unaddressed or no one wants to discuss. And that's the phrase that I actually want to use today. Years ago, Dallas Willard wrote these very, very insightful words. He said, non-discipleship is the elephant in the church. It's not as many moral failures or financial abuses or amazing general similarities between Christians and non-Christians. These are only the effects of the underlying problem. The fundamental negative reality among Christian believers today is the failure to be consistently learning how to live their lives in the kingdom that is already among us. 
I mean, this is one of the main reasons for this whole spring series. We're not just doing spiritual practices because we're dealing with the COVID-19 moment. And again, many of you years from now will be listening to this. Actually, the reason why we're doing this series again is that we want to continue to face down the elephant in the room. And the amazing thing is that that elephant has been leaving our church for a while, but we don't want him to come back in. Let me make the connection. The spiritual practices, the holy habits we're talking about, the spiritual disciplines, allow us to place ourselves before God so we can be transformed. And remember, it was a week or two ago that I stopped, and let me do it again, and reminded us of the power of that word. Transform means alteration, change, revolution, renovation, makeover and conversion. So when you encounter God as a follower of Jesus in these environments, you will be altered, changed, revolutionized, renovated, made over, and converted in the deepest ways. So this is how we truly become like Jesus, and this is how we walk with the Father like Jesus did. Now so far, we've looked at Jesus as our model, and the practices of prayer and confession and fasting and biblical secrecy and celibacy and solitude and silence. So much ground has been covered. So much has been experienced. So many more questions have been brought up. So much is being processed. See, what's happening is the elephant's being pushed out of the room because we're actually getting down to discipleship. But now we're going to look at another critical spiritual practice for everyday normal people. Today, we're going to look at and learn about and embrace the spiritual practice of study. Here's how one person defined it. Study is the, catch this word, intentional process of engaging the mind with the written and spoken word of God and the world God has created in such a way that the mind takes on an ordering, an order conforming to the order upon which it is concentrating. In other words, you start to become what you're observing and reading. Now, at the heart of study, the study of God's word, is love, not duty. A want and a desire to know the written word of God, because as we know the word of God, it moves us to know the God that we already love and has loved us first. This is about love. This is about being close to the one and knowing about the one that we are in relationship with. See, at Sanctus Church, our very first core value is this. We value God's word. We believe in an honest engagement with the biblical text, understanding and applying it in order to find our place in God's unfolding story and becoming more like Jesus in character and conduct. Now, the Bible is God's written word. It's the ultimate source for faith life, and practice. Of course, we know that God speaks in other ways, through nature, through community, through, through spiritual gifts, through spiritual experiences, through reason, through experience. We can look back at church history and see over 2,000 years how God spoke to those generations, and that can help us understand and wrestle things down. But the Bible is the ultimate source for faith, life, and practice. All the other examples I just gave, they're important. They're sort of like lower courts, But this is the Supreme Court. And why? Well, listen to how the authors of Scripture talk about the nature of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
all scripture. When Paul penned 2 Timothy 3.16, this, of course, he presumed the whole Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. But it includes the New Testament also. Already by this point, Peter is talking about Paul's writing as scripture. Matthew and Luke are starting to quote Mark, and Paul is quoting Luke. Now, all scripture is God's word, but it's God's word to us. It's J.I. Packer's definition of the Bible I love the most. Christianity, he wrote, is the true worship and service of the true God, humanity's creator and redeemer. It is a religion that rests on revelation. Nobody would know the truth about God or be able to relate to God in a personal way had not God first acted to make himself known to us. But God has acted. (laughs) And the 66 books of the Bible, 39 written in the Old Testament, 27 after, are together the record, the interpretation, the expression, and the embodiment of his own self-disclosure. God himself and godliness are the Bible's uniting themes. That's why that little phrase is so important. All scripture is God-breathed. It comes from God. This is origin. Who is the source? Who is the cause? Who's the beginning? Who really wrote this book? God. God is the basis and foundation. God is the author of this book. Oh, he used multiple people over thousands of years from multiple backgrounds in multiple languages and, and allowed their personality and flavor to come out. But at the end of the day, there is one author behind all the authors. This book is like no other book. God has actually not written another book. Let me say that again. God has not written another book. He he has revealed himself to us fully through Jesus Christ, the living word, and God fills in the whole story through and only through the Bible, his written word. And here at Sanctus Church, we have a high view of scripture. Not just the ideas of the book are inspired. Everything in this book is inspired and lets us know him, to walk with him and meet him. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful, it's helpful, it's practical, it's constructive. For what? Well, first of all, teaching us. This is about doctrine. This is about the nature of salvation, who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is about the commands of Jesus, the Christian life, the message of the kingdom, who is God, what is the future, heaven, hell, all of it. This is how how I know who God is and how to meet him. That's why one of my life verses, the main life verse I have is 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, for if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. But not only teaching, this is also given to rebuke us, oh, and correct us. Rebuke, stop that. Correct, don't go there, go there. This is about worldview. This is how about how we think and act. The Bible has to be the lens. The Bible has to be our glasses so we can see the world properly. Through scripture, we can see how God views family and life and money and sexuality and relationship and power and politics and race and economics and gender. The list goes on and on. The more we sit, ready, under God's word, the more you listen to God's word, the more you eat the written word of God, the more you will hear from God, the more you submit to the word of God, you will be taught, corrected, and rebuked. And why do we need this? Because we're born in sin. Why do we need this? Because actually we live in a world where family or culture or pain or sin or perspective has more power than God's view, and that needs to be flipped. But the Bible also is God's gift to us to train us in righteousness, to transform us, 
And this is one of the main reasons why the practices that we're learning about all spring are so important. The invitation to follow Jesus in the disciplines is to be transformed and to be made righteous. I love when Philip Tower once said, righteousness just describes the observable Christian life. A God-centered life, a life that's pleasing to God, a life that's conformed to God. Uh, Any person who loves God always loves the scriptures. Listen to another verse about the role and nature and gift of the Bible. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This book is like no other. It's alive, it's active, it's life-giving. As the Holy Spirit hovered over Jesus, so the Holy Spirit is always hovering over the scriptures, always ready to lead us into all truth, to know God himself and, and know his love. Years ago, I've shared this story, but years ago there was a woman here who was, her and her husband uh, were Muslims and they came to faith in Jesus. And they were baptized in our community, actually on this stage in Ajax. And they came from the country of Iran, And when she was in the tank, the wife, she was telling her story of how she encountered Christ. And she was saying how her family was so upset she had decided to follow Jesus and declare him Lord and Son of God. And, 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 and so they, her whole family, she said, bought the Bible to show her why this was wrong. And she laughed in the baptism tank. And she said, oh, but see, what they don't understand is the book they're reading is not like any other book. It's alive. It's alive. And they're going to meet the one I've met. And by the way, the family did meet Jesus. Notice, Scripture is alive, and it says it will cut, it will pierce, it will get to the very essence of our hearts. It will cut and confront and heal wrong thoughts and actions. And let me just say this, you cannot divorce the written word of God from the living word spirit, that's Jesus. And you can never understand the scriptures without the author. And oh, by the way, Jesus loves the scriptures. If you want to understand how to interact with the scriptures, just look at how Jesus dealt with them. He never said they were wrong. He never threw them out. He never, co- no, no, he loved them. I mean, Jesus promised this too in John sixteen three. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. And one reason why he's given us the spirit is so we will understand truth. See, the more you know the Bible, you're no, the more you'll know who God is and what his will is. The more you know God and, and the more truth you'll encounter, we'll be taught and rebuked and corrected and trained. And the more you know God, the more you'll encounter his holy love. See, this is why the spiritual practice of study matters so much to you, your family, this church, and this region. Why? Well, here's what Jesus said. John 8, 32. You will know the truth... Oh, and the truth will set you free. If you do not engage in the study aspect of the disciplines, you won't be free. I love when Richard Foster said, good feelings will not free us. Ecstatic experiences will not free us. Getting high on Jesus will not free us. Without a knowledge of truth, we will not be free. Calvin Miller even said it better Mystics without study are only spiritual romantics who want relationship without the effort. Whoa. Let me say it again. Mystics without study are only spiritual romantics who want relationship without the effort. 
That's what we need in the middle of a genuine revival. That's what we need during a renewal. That's what we need in normal times and boring times and dark times. We need consistent study, preaching and practicing of the Holy Scriptures. Paul in his major theological work, the book of Romans, calls us in the most robust of manners, not only to intellectually know the Bible, but experientially encounter the author of the Bible and follow it. Head, heart, right thinking, right action. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, after your mind is renewed, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He says, look, you, you, you can no longer think like your culture, the pattern of this world, this age that we're living in, <clears throat> where sin and worldly systems and the demonic actually pervert how we're called to think. No, no, we, we actually need our minds to be transformed, even as Christians, and that word transformed is profound. It means transfigured. It's where we get our, meta, our word metamorphosis from. It's a promise that will be changed in the likeness of Jesus. We see this in nature, uh, a tadpole to frog, caterpillar to butterfly, but it presumes a significant long process. This takes place through the Holy Spirit, through study, the studying of scripture, the meditation of scripture, and in Christian community working out. And that's where we become more like Jesus. Be transformed, be renewed. How? Sit with and sit under the word of God. Let the word of God not only transform your thinking and your worldview, but let it inform how you should act. I mean, this is what Paul said in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Now, we talked about this before. I think we're going to talk about this verse again. But the very first group of categories where he says true and noble and right are all talking about Scripture, understanding who God is and what he's about and letting him have the final say in all these things and finding joy and obedience. But he also talks about the world and how God's fingerprints are still everywhere in nature, what theologians call common grace. But then he says in verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put, in, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Oh, okay, ready? Go back, he says, and read and listen and do. Obedience to God's word is connected to peace. Love is connected to joy and obedience. Peace comes because the Holy Spirit's within you and you're being formed by what? His word. So then you're like, okay, John. Well, then how do I, I mean, like, how, how do I actually study the scriptures? I mean, I don't have a PhD in theology. I don't read Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Some of you are like, I'm a brand new Christian. Others are like, I'm not even a Christian yet. And like, where do I start in the middle of like, what? Okay. Number one, realize <laughs> this is going to take a while and it's a lifelong process and it's okay. Richard Foster brilliantly said, when you study God's word, here's four things you need to do. Repetition concentration, reflection, humility. Repetition, concentration, reflection, and humility. You've got to do this again and again and again. This is like exercise. The more you do that thing, you will see the change. Concentration. You can't do this with a thousand other things going on. You need to concentrate, to listen. You need to reflect. What does this mean to me? Oh, and the biggest one is humility. So you need to start your conversation with God under his word, not above it. 
it's God's forming us. We're not forming God. It was David Watson. He was a, a great uh, Anglican leader in England, part of a charismatic community who wrote all sorts of books. And I love when he wrote this years ago about study. He says, as I spent time chewing over the endless assurances and promises to be found in the Bible, so my faith in the living God grew stronger and held me safe in his hands. God's word to us, especially spoken word by a spirit through the Bible, is the very ingredient that feeds our faith. If we feed our souls regularly on God's word several times each day, we should become robust spiritually just like we feed on ordinary food several times each day and become robust physically. Nothing is more important than hearing and obeying the word of God. So no matter your educational level, no matter your background, we are all called into study to know God's word, to learn God's word, to understand God's word, to listen to God's word, to obey God's word, to find joy in God's word. By sitting under God's word, we meet with Jesus. We will always encounter the author of this book when we sit with him. Jesus is there and transformation happens when we don't just intellectually understand, but we obey. Now, some of you are going, okay, John, I, sure, but how do I do this? Well, let me give you some help and then some resources. One of the most important things you need to do is you need to find out what the author first meant and how, his, how the first hearers of it would understand it. It's what we call Bible history or historical context. You have to ask, what did it mean to them before you ask, what does it mean to me? If you start with me, you'll, you'll mess up then. <laughs> and you're like, well, John, okay, I, I'm going to need some helpful tools. L let me give them to you. One, a book that we've given out here for years. And, and honestly, I would love every person in our church to read this book. It's a little book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. This book is a very simple book and it shows you how to interact with the scripture properly. It tells you some history about the Bible. It tells you how to interact with different styles in the Bible. How do I read a historical part of the Bible differently than I do a, a, a narrative part versus a poem style or, or apocalyptic, Daniel or Revelation with all these images. It tells you sort of the ground rules of how to do it in very simple ways so you read it right in its original context so you apply it well. And we just, again, I can't just put it up on the chat to you right now. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. There's a great podcast that is so incredibly helpful. It's also on YouTube. It's called The Bible Project. And these amazing guys, what they've been doing is they've been in picture form, in story form, in cartoon form, been showing the original context of the Bible. And if you're a visual learner or an oral learner, this is going to be great for you. And it gives you context and it's interactive and it's fun. And it's going to help you understand the grand themes of the Bible and some of the original context. A good study Bible, honestly, is great. The NIV study Bible or the Life Application Study Bible, or the ESV Study Bible, those just are three. Those are really good. Why? Because as you're reading through the Bible, there are little comments below that give you some of the original context or application you wouldn't just naturally know. And why I'd recommend these three other, uh, more than others is because it's written by whole groups of scholars and pastors, not just one person from one perspective. I also, to do well in this, I use the Bible in one year with Nikki Gumbel. That, you can get that through version, or, or actually as an app. 
And basically, you read through the Bible in the year, and then Nicky Gumbel, the founder of, of Alpha and the rector at HTB, what he does is he reads a devotional connected to all the scriptures, but gives some historical context. If you really want to get serious about study, get a, get a good study Bible. Do the Bible in one year. Go to these podcasts. Get that book. Begin to do the work so you can do the work. This is how you study the Bible in its context so you know what it originally meant and then apply it to your life versus just you presuming what you think you know. Now, now there's one other thing I want to share. That's one way to do study. But there's another way to do study that sort of is a complement to what I just told you. It's called Lectio Divina. This is the devotional listening to Scripture or how to pray the scriptures back to God. Remember, the Bible is living and active. The Holy Spirit is present. So if you're taking notes or reflecting today, I'm going to now show you a different way to interact with the Bible than I just did before. And then I'll tell you how they all tie in together. The process, process of Lectio Divina, the praying back the scripture goes like this. Number one, you pick a passage and you actually read it out loud. You listen to the word of God. You sit in silence. You can do this in a group or by yourself. And you read the passage twice, out loud, and you just read it. And then you listen for a word or phrase that strikes you, and you write it down. So you listen in silence. If you're doing it in a group and one person reads, or if you're doing it by yourself, you're just there and you read it. And you're looking for a word or a phrase that really pops out to you. And you write that down. Step two. You ask God, how does this word touch my life? And you read the passage again. And you begin to ask the question, how does that word or phrase connect to me? Then the third thing you do is you ask God, is there an invitation for me to respond? As you read the passage now a third time, you wonder and say to God, what are you inviting me to do? So you read the passage once or twice, you can do it one or two times, and a word or phrase stands out. And then you read it again, how is this word touching me or speaking to me? You read it again. What am I being invited to do out of that word? And then the last step is you pray for yourself, if you're by yourself, or for another, if you're doing this with them, to actually obey and respond to the invitation. That's a very simple devotional way to read the scripture because it's alive and active and the Holy Spirit can speak. Now, there is something so critically important to hear at this very moment. You need to do both of these together in interacting back and forth. Maybe not on the same day, but these Lectio Divina and the historical study of Scripture, you need to do these together because this is how God continues to speak and how your mind will be transformed. But if you do one without the other, you'll end up in trouble. If all you're doing is studying, you'll even wonder if God may ever be speaking and he's really in the room. If all you do is Lectio Divina, you'll never know the original context and you'll invent all sorts of different ideas in your mind and never be grounded. This is like two sides of one coin. These are two amazing avenues to the same center, but you need to do both. Now, as I come to an end, let me start all the way back at the beginning. There's an elephant in the room in many lives, probably in our church and churches all around the world. But it doesn't need to be this way. If we take time to regularly, with intention, in humility, look for God's fingerprints, of course, in our world. But as we sit under the Holy Scriptures, we will be transformed. But a caution as I come to a close. 
Why read? Why study? Why do this practice? If it's just for more information, then this is a profound failure. So many of us know so much intellectually about the Bible, but there's no effect on our life. It's just intellectual or spiritual gluttony. If, if you just approach study so you just learn all the things you need to do, like getting a list of morals, you've missed what happened. See, the whole reason why you want to study is so you will be near God, you will love God, and know his love for you. Listen to the Psalms and how they talk about scripture. But just watch this. Psalm 119, 105. Notice, your word, God, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. See, it's always never about the book. It's about the author of the book showing himself. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditated, meditate on it all day long. Psalm 48, 9. Within your temple, O God, the guaranteed place of encounter, we meditate on your unfailing love. How? Through his word. Psalm 145, 5, I meditate on your wonderful works. Psalm 136, my soul waits for who? The Lord. More than a watchman waits for the morning. Psalm 27, 14, wait for who? The Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. We study God's word because we know it's guaranteed encounter. We love the scriptures and we study the Bible and we immerse ourselves in Holy Scripture, not because they are God. We don't worship the Bible, but they're God's word for us. We worship Jesus, the true living word that has given us the written word through the spirit. So we rush and we sit and we read the scriptures, whether we feel him or not, whether we want to or not, because we know that the one that loves us is going to be there when we sit and read his word. The heart of the Psalms that we just read show us why we must study. Because when we do it, Jesus himself, through his spirit, will be met. And Jesus, who is humble and gentle, will always teach us. He'll rebuke us. He'll correct us. He'll train us. He'll free us. He'll deal with his motives. And he will allow us to be more like him. And he will continually take us to the Father. So let me just end by saying, Sanctus Church, study God's word. And study God's world. For when you do, over time, the elephant in the room will be gone and Jesus will be more in the room. And I think we all would say, I want Jesus filling up my room and your room and this church's room and all the rooms in the region. I know this is daunting. I know it's big. I know some of you are like, it feels like a university class. No, no. God's going to meet every single one of us, no matter where we're at, no matter our background, in simple and profound ways because he promises his word is alive and active and it's a gift to us. So Father and Son, thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of, all, of truth. So Holy Spirit, lead us in all truth. Would you help us to grow and study, to do the hard work, to read it in context and also devotionally be aware when you're speaking to us in the moment. Guard us from wrong understanding. Guard us from heresy false thinking. Guard us uh, from our own thoughts that are not your thoughts. Thank you, Jesus, you love this book. Thank you, Father, you love this book. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you love this book. Thank you for this book. Help our church to sit with your word, not to worship it, to be, but, but to be like you, to be close to you, to be with you. And lastly, we just want to say thank you, God, we live in a country where we can own this book, virtually and physically have access to it, and we just take a moment to pray for millions of Christians who want this and because of where they live, they can't even have it or it's hard to get. 
Just help them today and help us to know what we have now. In Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us uh, today. And uh, we can't wait to see you next week as we delve into another spiritual practice that's going to make us more like Jesus. Keep going, keep struggling. And remember, remember, this is metamorphosis. This is not one and done. This takes time. This takes effort. This takes a power that's not our own. God's going to help us. Take the long view and you'll be transformed. We'll see you next week.